Last week in our study, we came, really for the second week in a row, to the cross. And uh, I I think the lesson last week was very significant, very significant. We talked about some things that related to salvation. Uh, There are differences of opinion as to where, specifically in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, Christian came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Was it at the wicked gate or was it at the cross? And I think a very convincing case can be made for both of those, really. But we made the point last week, I think as time was running out here, that uh, uh, salvation is something which, if we had the time to share all of our stories about how we were brought to Christ, whether it was being reared in a Christian home or whether it was out of some crisis experience that brought us to Christ uh, out of an unsaved and... uh, debauched life, whatever it is, it involves putting our wholehearted trust in Christ. I wrote the word salvation on the board here because as I thought of this, and I I really need to get into our lesson. I don't need to get uh, sidetracked. I'm anxious to get into the new part of our lesson here. But there are two things that I've thought of quite a bit. And the first is a... Credible profession that is a very significant part of the matter of salvation a credible credible honest sincere wholehearted profession that our trust for salvation is in Christ alone not Christ plus our works or anything like that, but in Christ alone. A credible profession of faith. But the second thing is continual production of fruit in our life. Uh, I was going to take the time, and I think uh, I'll not not do that, but I was going to take the time right now to turn in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 19, where we have the fascinating account. Uh, it, it kind of takes up the story from what was read in earlier an earlier location in Acts, and that is the persecution that broke out after Stephen's martyrdom and it forced many Christians to leave Jerusalem and to head northward. Basically, they're heading northward up the coast. And some of them came to the city of Antioch, what we would refer to as Antioch on the Orontes River, or Syrian Antioch. They came to the city of Antioch. The names of these individuals are not given, but they, as they were scattered, they scattered the good seed of the word. They preached the gospel as they went. And when they came to Antioch, apparently they preached it to Gentiles, and God blessed that, and many Gentiles were coming to know the Lord. And word got back to the Jerusalem church that Gentiles are coming to Christ in Antioch. And the church in Jerusalem sent 
a representative, a very specially prepared representative to go up and to see what was going on. You know who that representative was? It was Barnabas. Barnabas, the encourager, ever the encourager. Barnabas went up there, and the reason why I would have turned to that passage of Scripture and dwelled on it a little bit more is because the Word of God tells us that he arrived there in Antioch, and listen to this phrase, and he saw the grace of God. How do you see the grace of God? The way they acted. Yeah, yeah, very good. Sort of like today's message. Yeah, yeah. By seeing changed lives. Listen, Gentiles who came to know Christ were coming out of a lifestyle of paganism and idolatry and immorality, all those things, and they were coming to Christ and Barnabas immediately saw changed lives. And, and that's this second point here, a continuing production of fruit in our life which, which verifies the profession that we have made. That's the matter of salvation. And having said that, you have your notes in your hands, and I think we had better press on with you. So let's see if I can get everything to work. What do you know? There it is. I want you to open your Bible with me to the passage which is found in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and the verse of scripture which has appeared on the screen. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And it's really verse 24 that reads as we have it on the screen. If anyone would come after me, Jesus is saying this, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Note well, to be a true follower of Christ involves certain things which I think are especially revealed in that verse of Scripture. First thing, the necessity of self-denial. That is, the realization that you cannot save yourself or direct your own life. You must follow him. A second thing, the realization that even as the master suffered, so also the servant must suffer. Suffering. Suffering. It's not an easy road to be a Christian. It's not a road lined with flowers. It is not, as the hymn, hymn writer said, being carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease. It's not that. It's not that. It involves suffering. And the specific suffering that it mentions is by using the word cross. That's pretty striking, pretty shocking, isn't it? The third thing is the responsibility of following Christ is not an occasional thing, but rather a daily duty. Again, the verse says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A daily duty. So, we've, we've come to the point 
in the story of Pilgrim's Progress where Christian has been to the cross and where his burden rolled off, rolled down the hill and rolled into the open sepulcher and where he was met by the three shining ones and declared that his sins were forgiven and given new clothes and mark on his forehead and given a roll. But really the question comes when we enter into this new part, and that's why I've called this, uh, this chapter here, the difficult journey continues. The difficult journey continues. It's not going to be an easy journey. It's not. But it, it, it really is the question, where to now once we've come to the cross? Where to now? So... Let me just very quickly read through this one here because this is essentially what ground we're going to cover here. Encountering three who were sleeping, encountering two who had tumbled over the wall. You might make those points a little briefer. The three sleepers and the two tumblers. <laughs> then climbing the hill difficulty with a nap along the way. And then encountering two men who were heading back then seeing a stately palace named Beautiful, the two lions, and I'm just clicking the screen to go beyond that because if we get that far, we'll be doing well today, I think. Okay? There's a lot. There's a lot here. So the first thing we encounter here and the first thing in your outline under persons and places along the way are the three sleepers. The three sleepers. Here's the way... One of the books encountered this. One of the books. Uh, there are, yeah, there's, there's a number of things. You, you don't want to miss this feature of this. Uh, but let's see what we're being told here. At the bottom of the hill, the hill where the cross was, were three individuals who were fast asleep and their feet were in chains. Christian attempts to warn them of their danger and there are certain responses that are made after Christian said you're in grave danger here. You can see a hand coming out to get them. How did they respond? The first of these individuals, who, by the way, had a name, all three of these sleepers have a name, his name was Simple. His name was, I see no danger. I see no danger. Of course, as the artist represented here, their backs are to the danger. But I see no danger. The second one named Sloth, a good name for him because he says, you had a little more sleep. <laughs> you never have enough sleep in his estimation. The third one, I think, is the most uh, interesting of these. Uh, the third one is an individual. Uh, I got behind and pushing my button here, sorry. Here comes the third one, guys. His name, Presumption. Every tub must stand on its own bottom. <laughs> what in the world? Every tub must stand on its own bottom. You can see in the notes that I put a little parenthesis there and a statement. But 
Let me preface that by something else. I, I really have to limit myself in the notes because I only want to do two pages, although I've violated that a couple times already, I think, in our previous classes, but I want to try to stick to two pages. Every tub must stand on its own bottom. This seems mysterious to us. <clears throat> what he means is this. <clears throat> you take care of your own interests. I will take care of mine. <clears throat> and that's why I put in our notes right here, I think essentially what he's saying is, mind your own business. Mind your own business. You tend to your affairs. I'll tend to my affairs. Now, what that has to do with a tub, I'm not sure. But I'm not living in the 1600s. So I have to take it from other authorities. Three individuals, all in a sorry state, and not having any desire whatsoever to change the state that they're in. The state of seeing no danger, the state of uh, getting a little bit more sleep, or the state of mind your business. So they went back to sleep, and Christian went on his way. Now, now we've mentioned this before, and, and can I just sort of mention it once again here? Christian went on his way. You know how many times I've, I've typed the word Christian in our notes up to this point? A whole bunch. I don't even know how many times. A lot of times. But you know what? Christian is now a true Christian. As he continues on his way. So... What's next? <clears throat> Coming over the wall. Coming over the wall. I think this is a, a good representation of this one. Uh, you can see how they are dressed. I love the color pictures. A lot of the illustrations for the various editions of Pilgrim's Progress are <clears throat> black and white. But who are these two? <clears throat> Notice this first point. <clears throat> They tumbled over the wall on the left side of the narrow way. They tumbled over the wall on the left side of the narrow way. You can underscore the word left there. Why, why, why do I have you underscore the word left? And this, this, gives, me some, this gives me somewhat pain to do. But I'm left-handed. How many else are left-handed? The minority of us, although several of us, the left hand, generally speaking, in literature, and particularly in this literature, is viewed as the kind of sinister, <laughs> you, know, the, you know, be suspicious of a guy who's using his left hand. So that's not a point to just be glossed over quickly. And in French, it's the word gauche, which is clumsy. <laughs> and my roommate in college wrote a paper on Mansonism, and I said, what's Mansonism? She said, you have it, you, you're born with it, you can't get over it. Turned out being left-handed. <laughs> well, they come over the left side of the wall. The next point is, <clears throat> their names are formalist and hypocrisy. Formalist and hypocrisy. So there are Throughout the book, questions and answers, almost, almost, but not always, almost always when a new character <coughs> enters into the story, it kind of brings us up to the point where we were or whatever. 
But Christian asked them where they came from and where and why they were going. So their first response was they are from the land of vainglory. The land of vainglory. And note this now. They were headed for Mount Zion for praise. Headed for Mount Zion for praise. Now, I didn't type the word praise on here. I kind of regret that. I should probably add it here. For praise. Now stop and think about that for a minute. Were they headed to Mount Zion so that they could offer up praise to God? No. So that they could get there and be praised. So that they could be praised. How fitting that they're from vainglory. They're well schooled in this, aren't they? So, the next thing is, he asked why they did not come in at the wicked gate, and their reply simply was, we knew a shortcut. We knew a shortcut. Uh, we knew a better way, as it were. So, have you flipped your page over? I think you have. Have you written anything yet? Perhaps not a thing. Amazing. Or maybe a couple little notes. But, on the back of the page here, Christian made it clear that the Lord of the city regards this, what these two individuals did, he regards it as a trespass and a violation of his revealed will. Now, it's very interesting, this last note that's going to come on the screen here, and it might seem very perplexing or problematic when you read it. Uh, let me not put that one on yet. They said they had custom on their side, and then mentioned specifically a thousand years' worth of custom. Did you, did you wrinkle your brow on that one when you read that they had responded, we have a thousand years of custom on our side. <clears throat> I think this is an important point here. Let me see if I can find this in my expanded notes here. <clears throat> Quoting from one of the commentators on Pilgrim's Progress, he says this. Listen carefully. This is the length of time Roman Catholicism had, in Puritan's eyes, obscured the doctrine of justification by faith through its insistence on the merit of works and it substituted for inner Christian commitment a formal religion of external observance and ceremony such as the established Church of England continued to promote by its determination to enforce conformity to its liturgy. That's a whole lot that I just read to you. A whole lot. But in the Puritan's way of thinking, and remember, we're here in the latter part of the 1600s when Bunyan is writing. In their way of thinking, a thousand years of history have passed, and that thousand years has been a time dominated by Roman Catholicism and their works, religion, and of late, so to speak, and I mean back then, the Church of England has come on the scene to promote an enforcement of the liturgy that they followed. And remember, 
Bunyan refused to submit to that, and for that reason, where was he? In jail. In jail. If he had agreed to submit to the Church of England or the Anglican Church's uh, liturgy and so on, then he would be a free man. So, supposedly. But he had not, and he's in jail, and in the providence of God, while he is in jail, he, he writes this story. But that's the mention of the thousand years that they say we have a thousand years of tradition on our side. Now, let, let's just pause for a moment here, and I, I, I don't know that um, I have included this in our notes at this point, but <clears throat> Christian made it clear that he walked by the rule of the master. He says, you come in by yourselves without his direction. You shall go out by yourselves without his mercy. So a, a word or two about these individuals. Formalist, formalist, first of all, and I don't have this in the notes here, but you'll notice the screen, formalist. The formal religion of external observance and ceremony practiced in the Church of England Failure to conform to its demands at Landon Bunyan in jail, a formalist. Everything is formalism, and there is no, there's no life to that formalism. There's a deadness. Hypocrisy. He has no belief in his heart at all. But he sees the Bible to be a story that many respect, so he pretends <laughs> to believe it, so people will think well of him. He is, he's a hypocrite, he's wearing a mask, if you will, the mask of hypocrisy. Formalist and hypocrisy, the two individuals the two tumblers, if you will, who came over the wall. Well, uh, I did have this on the previous screen, and I'm sorry I went over it quickly, didn't even read it probably, but you'll notice, last arrowhead before we come to the next bullet, these two individuals, hypocrisy and formalist, mocked Christian's coat saying that his neighbors gave it to him to hide the shame of his nakedness. Christian made it clear that his coat had been given to him by the Lord of the place where he was going. Where, where did Christian get the coat? At the cross. One of the three shining ones gave him new clothes. They mocked his new clothes. So we come in the next place. The Hill Difficulty. The Hill Difficulty. The three individuals and formalists and hypocrisy join with Christian because he is going to where they think they are going. They come to this hill and at the foot of the hill they found that there were three possible ways to proceed. Three possible ways. 
There is a way that goes up the hill, but probably not seen too well on this. There's a way that goes this way and a way that goes that way. The narrow way went right up the hill. The second way named Danger led into a great wood. The third named Destruction did what? Well, Destruction uh, is going to be, it, it, reads, it leads to a wide place, a wide field, it says, but then it goes on further to say to a mountainous place. I, shouldn't shouldn't the two signs alone tell you that the road that goes straight up the hill is the better choice to make? Danger and difficulty? But because they see a road going up and two roads that are level, obviously they make poor choices. Um, after drinking from the refreshing spring at the foot of the hill, Christian began going up the hill, quoting poetry as he went. Don't you love a guy that quotes poetry? <laughs> I'm going to quote some to you right now. This hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, for I perceive the way to life lies here. Come pluck up heart, let's neither faint nor fear. Better, though difficult, the right way to go than wrong, though easy, where the end is woe. Some of you follow that in your in your story. You follow that. Yeah. But needless to say, that the two routes that were chosen by his two uh, followers, uh, his his two uh, what should we call them, formals and hypocrisy, their ways both ended in tragedy. Tragedy. Ultimate tragedy irreparable tragedy. Christian, having gotten refreshment from the spring, uh, he proceeds up the hill. And should we be surprised at all when we read that when he starts up the hill, it becomes more and more difficult? The further he goes, the more difficult it gets. What does that remind you of? Please tell me. Journey to the cross. Okay, okay, good, good. Anybody else? And how about the journey after the cross? Now, th this is just the beginning of the journey after the cross, and the journey is going to go a lot further with a lot more complex things happening and interesting people that he meets. But it is not going to be an easy journey. It's been difficult up to this point. It's not going to get easier. It's not. It takes on the early 
a lot of times people just believe in Jesus and everything will be okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and easy believism is a lie. Yeah, I, I'm like like I have said, and like like uh, Dirk Thomas often says in his presentation of uh, the studies on Pilgrim's Progress, that is definitely something that uh, John Bunyan had in mind. In easy believism is not the route to go. It's a tragic route. So let's see what else we have here. <clears throat> As I've already said, the other two chose other ways, and those ways ended in disaster. So let's think a little bit more about difficulty, and I think this artist has captured it well. Uh, Pilgrim is having difficulty. First he ran, then he walked, then he crawled. It was difficult going. Remember, this is an allegory. It represents something, and as we've indicated, it represents, I think it well represents our life. I, 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 don't, I don't know uh, the story of all of your lives. I, I've learned some about those stories in, in times past as we have talked and had occasion to share. But, you, you know, I can say with absolute assurance and confidence that I know your life is not trouble-free. Better, better put, I know your life as a Christian is not trouble-free. Now there are people who are not Christians that suffer from, from illnesses and financial collapses and family disappointments and marriage split-ups and all these kind of other things. But for a Christian, a Christian is not exempt from those things. Not. Joy? I mean, be completely off base here, but looking at this and what you wrote up there, going from running to walking to crawling, it's going backward to me. You know, like you start crawling, then you walk, and then you run. And in my mind, I could see this where he, when you're little, you need your father more, you know, and as he's going, he's kind of going backward in the, he's needing more and more of his father. Of that so I don't know like I said this is just me and what I'm looking at and with the allegory of seeing of him running to walking to crawling as the hill gets more and more difficult we kind of tend to reach out more and more to the Lord yeah, we certainly ought to yeah. certainly ought to do we always no sadly no sadly no uh, <clears throat> but I will say I tend to reach out more when it's harder than I do when it's easier, you know, like there's yeah, a... Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's something uh, that I want to read you a little bit further right here. Um, this comes from uh, this, this particular book that I may, may have mentioned in uh, some of the weeks past here, Maureen Bradley's Study Guide, published by PNR, uh, is a very good study guide. Uh, Relatively brief and very interestingly, it contains a lot of question and answers. When, uh, <clears throat> when a new chapter begins, let's see if I can find this. Uh, Christian rediscovers grace is what she calls this chapter. At the beginning, there are just all kinds of questions. And then 
she will give uh, summary and, and contents and further elaboration. But let me read to you what she writes in the book at this particular point. She said, many are the forms of the hill called difficulty in the Christian life in which true grace is exhibited. Often we think of physical difficulties that come our way, but just as difficult are acts of self-denial, the experiences of humbling our proud hearts, not seeking the praise of men, overcoming sinful habits of the flesh, and graciously forgiving ingratitude and injury done to us. With both physical and spiritual difficulties, our path is proved to be genuine and made to grow. So up the hill difficulty, the Christian must go. A Christian's climb up the hill difficulty is not easy. It is usually a slow, long, arduous ascent. A, low, a, a slow, long, arduous ascent. And that's the way Bunyan has written this. You know, it's why I chose for us to begin today looking at that verse from the Lord Jesus. If any man wishes to follow me or come after me, don't deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. That is not a description of an easy life. It's not. Well, as he is coming up the hill, he comes to the arbor. This arbor is found halfway up the hill. Halfway up the hill. It's a pleasant arbor. And we're told that the Lord of the hill has made this arbor for the refreshment of weary travelers. Now, it was not designed for sleep, but for rest. Christians fell sound asleep, and his role fell from his hand. Now, that pictured in this depiction here? His roll fell from his hand. And he didn't realize it. He didn't realize it. Now, notice the way I put it in our notes right here. Um, he was awakened, and we're not told who he was awakened by. Someone, apparently, woke him up. And as he was awakened, he was horrified that he had fallen asleep, and he had to get up the rest of the hill. Okay. His role. His role was left in the armor, although he knew it not at this point in time. What is the role? What is the role? Now, we've, we've said in, in times past here that it was a sign of his assurance 
a confirmation of his identity in Christ. It was like a passport, like, like a passport, like a passport that somebody will show. Uh, this will be shown as he enters into the celestial city. It is very, very important. It was made up of the promises of the covenant contained in the gospel. <clears throat> he gets to the top of the hill and uh, Bob, yes. could you give us another minute with that? Oh, I, yeah. will. I will. You want me to back up? Please. That one? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, coming to the, the bottom bottom bullet on this page there are two we have anybody need more time you'd like more time on this thank you you're welcome thank you for for requesting that um there is a question there that just because you lose your role do you lose your identity in christ i know that's that's a good question that's a good question question? Uh, would you ask that question one more time donna just because you lose your role at some point in your walk, does that mean you lose your assurance and your identity in Christ? Does that mean, I, I think the first way you stated it was, do, does that mean you lose your salvation? Yeah. What do y'all think on that? <laughs> I, I, I think to start, and, and maybe we can answer this a little bit more fully in a moment or two more, but I, I, I think the first thing is we all do all make a loud united affirmation that no, we cannot lose our salvation, period. But having said that, have you ever struggled with assurance? You know what? I'll bet everybody in here has struggled with assurance. Is it, is it a non-Christian thing to struggle with assurance? It's not a good thing, but it is a prevalent thing. I, I, I wish I had my copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith, my little handheld copy here today. I would read to you the chapter on assurance of faith. Do you think maybe next week I'll begin by reading you some things from there? I think perhaps I will. I will. But, we'll, Don, I think we're going to come back and say another word or two about that in just a minute. Okay? But that's a very, very, very good question. But returning now, returning. As he goes up... The hill, if, if you look in your notes here, under the two who were running in the opposite direction, their names are timorous and mistrust. When asked why they were fleeing, they said that the further they went, the more, more ganger. That's an old English word that should read danger. <laughs> not good, not good. Make your change, please the more danger they met, specifically two fierce lions that were up ahead. Christian went forward, and this is so good, this is one of the great quotes 
from Pilgrim's Progress. Christian went forward saying, to go back is nothing but death. Remember, he was leaving the city of destruction. To go back is nothing but death. To go forward is fear of death and life everlasting beyond it. And as he reached for his scroll to read it and be comforted, he discovered that he had lost it. He discovered that he had lost it. Wow. Uh, let's stop for a moment and say a little bit more about these two individuals here. Uh, timorous and mistrust. They had conquered the hill, but then had seen the two lions concluding that the further they went, the more trouble and danger they would face, and that was sufficient to make them reverse and head back to where they had come. <coughs> timorous. What, 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 would you give me a synonym for the word timorous? Fearful. Fearful. Very good. And mistrust, I don't think we need a synonym for that one. Clear enough. Clear enough in itself. Well, as I said, as he reached for his scroll to read it and be comforted, he found it was missing, and the first thing he did was ask for God's forgiveness. He was horrified. Weeping as he retraced his steps back down to the arbor, and he found his scroll, and with great joy, he found it. As he returned to the top of the hill, retracing his steps for the third time now, he laments his sinfulness, and the loss of sunlight. What do you mean by the loss of sunlight? It was getting later and later in the day. Now, we're, I, I have some questions, believe it or not, for us here that I think can profitably utilize the last part of our, our time today. But, you know, it's in the providence of God that he lost the scroll and went up to the top of the hill and then had to retrace his steps and then went back up again. It's in the providence of God that he arrives at the Palace Beautiful at just the time he does. Just the time of what? Hmm? Would you repeat? Yeah, it's in the providence of God that he lost the scroll and had to retrace his steps and it put him behind schedule-wise and he arrives at the palace beautiful when he does. And I, I'll talk more about that next week. Okay. But it's certainly the providence of God. So the next thing is, oh my goodness, there they are on the screen. There they are. A beautiful palace came into view, but there were two lions in the way. Now if you look carefully at the picture, you can see a feature of the picture that's going to be made clear but not for now, not for now. For now, for now, I have a, a few questions that I've prepared here. Some closing questions on the Hill Difficulty, and I'd love to hear your response to these. Please don't let me down. Number one, in this section we have seen four sleepers, uh, three sleepers, 
Can you name them? What were the name of the sleepers? Simple, sloth, presumption. Right? Okay, good. Um, do you have a problem with spiritual slumber? Uh, let me rephrase it. With spiritual laziness? What's the solution for that? Get up and smack yourself a few times? <laughs> you know? What is the solution? Ask God to help you. True, Colleen. Right, true. Uh, you know, do what you know you should be doing. Open the scriptures. Open the scriptures. Flee to the scriptures. It's never wrong to flee to the scriptures. Never. We, sh we should be forever in the scriptures. Huh? Chuck Swindoll said one time he had a little plaque kept by his door at the end of the day. And it said, that's okay, you don't have time for devotions. Signed, the devil. <laughs> All right. And yeah. if you haven't thought about scripture during the day at some point, meditated on it, pursued it, chewed it, yeah. Yeah. then tomorrow's another day. Okay, next question. Four individuals were met along the way that never reached the goal. Formalist, hypocrisy, timorous, and mistrust. Although they represent impediments to spiritual progress, how can we see glimpses of ourselves in them? Their names again. Formalist, hypocrisy, timorous, mistrust. Just focus on their names. Rachel? Um, I think at some point in our life, I know I have been tempted to mm -hmm. be uh, very outward and performing. Um, fearful of what man thinks more than what God thinks. Also, fearful or mistrusting of the Lord sometimes. If we're not um, walking close with Him, we can trust in ourselves more than Him. Yeah, don't don't you think it would be a little I don't think to use the word presumptuous, but a little presumptuous of us to think that these characters that we're meeting along the way that they're just they're just all the hopelessly lost, you know, incorrigible individuals who don't know Christ and all that. I, beware, you guys. Beware. I, I have to beware of my own heart. I, and and you of yours also. Um, yes. Yes, Vicki? Yeah, I, I just, I know in my own life, if I don't call sin, sin, then I default to works righteousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's always the, the, my flesh pattern is to start doing, 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 to try to justify myself before God as opposed to just saying, oh, wait, that was sin. I need to not do that again. God, help me not do that again. <clears throat> and so I see so, so much in the, the characters that he's, he's chosen. Yeah. You, you know, that, that's, that's a candid and honest uh, revelation of not just Vicki, not just Vicki's experience, but our experience. It's so easy to say the world has, has redefined sin and so many things are justified now and everything, but oh my goodness, how we must distrust our own hearts in this. I think it's yes, interesting. Yes, Jasper. 
Um, Jesus says in, in one of the Gospels, uh, do not fear those who can kill your body, but fear him who can destroy body and soul in hell. And I think for fearful to return, he did not believe in um, God's judgment that Christian was aware of with the city of destruction. So he thought that the danger ahead of him was greater than the danger that is actually behind him. And I think if we, if I forget that Christ is coming and with him the judgment is coming, then I tend to be fearful of things that, you know, the world is completely changing and everything else. I might be afraid of losing my job or fearful of other things that I become more fearful of those those things and try to adapt the way I live my Christian life to kind of circumvent these fears because I have lost sight that uh, Christ came to save me, to save us from God's wrath. Chris, did you have something? Sure. Typically, in his writings, he, they're, they're in pairs, triplets. So, you know, simple, sloth, standing on your own. Um, if you're formal, it turns into hypocrisy. So they can kind of be paired up through the Christian life of, you know, the dangers that come. They usually kind of go hand in hand from fear to mistrust, right? It happens and occurs. Here's a third question that I wrote. What are the difficulties that you encounter as you press on as a pilgrim? We could probably go on for a while on that one, I think. Uh, but all of us could contribute to that. But a fourth question is this. And listen carefully. Have you ever had to backtrack spiritually? To backtrack. You know, he lost his role without knowing it. Got to the top of the hill. And it had been a difficult climb, and was horrified that he had lost it and backtracked. And time-wise, it hurt him and everything. There's one more thing that I've written here, and, and really, our time is is just about up. We have one minute left, I think. Can you give us another example of like backtracking? Of backtracking. Okay, good, good, good. Anybody like to share? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, Susan. Somewhere in your walk, you start on your, you don't call sin, sin, and it just keeps getting to where you don't even recognize it, and so you're so far back that you're like, oh man, now i got to work back, and I don't know how to do that, and sometimes you're not hit, God has to get you out of the pit, and then you've lost all that time, which is my story, but similar to that. So with that being said, you know, I think of the seasons that you go through and the fruit of the labor that you've done. So would that be kind of like what you said to like maybe that season you're not producing any fruit in your life and it's just a dry season kind of backtracking? Would that kind of be similar to that? I, 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 think, I think probably it's more serious than that, you know, than just a dry season or, the, you know, the non- okay basically not fruitful uh, part of the season or whatever. Yeah, but I didn't think so much of David when he didn't go to war and then he gets into all that trouble with Bathsheba and it, when he lost the scroll 
when he went to sleep, hmm. when he was only supposed to rest. And it just seems to me when we're at ease that we're in a danger we don't even recognize because that's when we, we forget and we go back to the strength of our flesh and just kind of go on autopilot with how life is. I think there's some parallels there. Yeah, we, we probably, yes, yeah, yeah. I would say for me, it's when those doubts came in about the truths. When, when what now? When what now? When the doubts came in about the sharings, and yes, I had to go back and go back and say, do you believe what you believe or don't you? I, this is the fifth one I wrote, and, and we don't have time for it, but it is this. Listen carefully. What is the basis of your assurance, the assurance of your salvation? I don't want to hear anything right now. But what if, what if I call on you next week? What if I write out a whole bunch of little cards with all your names on it, and I just lay them onto my table here and pull one out? And say, well, how would you answer that? I'm not going to do that next week. I'm not going to do that. But you know, I, listen. You, you guys know how much uh, for many years in my life now, for decades in my life, I have loved going to camp. I've been to a lot of camps. And when am I done with that? I don't know. <laughs> Should have been done already, but I don't think I'm done yet. But you know, one of the things that we're told is that. Uh, and I think they, the, the camps that I'm connected with, they, in their time of staff training, train their counselors to be able to deal with campers who have absolutely no assurance of their salvation. You know, in the camps that I go to, and I love these camps very much, um, you know, there are a lot of kids that come from non-Christian homes to camp and come to know Christ while they're at camp. And then they go back home and, you know, their home, their school, all their associates. A lot of, a lot of young people, but not limited to them, have a real struggle with assurance. A real struggle with assurance. So, I think I'll probably have to say a word or two about that next time uh, as we begin. But... You have probably, yeah, we're not breaking any speed records reading the book, you know that. <laughs> but next week, the primary focus is on the time that Christian had in the Palace Beautiful or the House Beautiful. That is a most delightful place to be. A most delightful place to be. So we'll start out with that. If you haven't read through all the details that le that took place in the House Beautiful, and I, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to develop a whole new chapter for what happens after he leaves the House Beautiful. But next, next week we're going to be there the whole time. Okay. Uh, thank you for coming today. Uh, you don't know how much delight this brings to my heart. It really does. And uh, you know, may God. Continue to instruct us and encourage us together, and may we journey on well. Right? Heavenly Father, we love you.
We thank you so much for your word, Lord, your truth. Thank you so much, Lord, for where you have brought us, each one of us. Uh, Lord, we are on this journey. It's an arduous journey. Uh, there are many individuals that we meet along the journey that are headed in the wrong direction. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to continue on, to press on, to storm the castle, as it were, in Jesus' name. Amen.